We're in this series, Confessions of a Pastor, um, of a pastor couple, which, by the way, she's the real pastor of the house. It's not really my gifting. Her heart is, if you've ever seen her minister to people, then, then you know who the real pastor is by gifting. Uh, mine's just by position, and God's still working on that area of my life. But um, in this series, we've been through a lot of different angles, and today, uh, I just wanted to bring my wife in on the conversation to discuss the area that we have had to learn to trust God in as much as any other area of our lives. And in fact, this is the area where we're still learning to trust God specifically, um, especially in this season of our lives. Yeah, we just want you to hear our heart. The subject matter that we're going to be talking about today is a major part of our story. And like what Chris said, it is how God taught us how to solely depend on him and truly trust him in every area. I think today will also help you understand why we carry such a strong conviction as a couple and that we practice personally and as a church and if we didn't talk about it because we were worried about causing offense or somebody getting offended, then I believe that we would be doing you an internal injustice um, as your pastors and as your leaders today. So we're just going to jump into our first point and dive in. Number one, we believe God's word absolutely. It's not a recommendation. When you read it, we believe it, and we want to operate in it. So we're going to begin in Malachi 3. 8 through 10, and it says, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you in your tithes and your contributions? You see where we're going today. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. You know, in giving, this is the only area that God says, test me in this. It's in giving. It's the only area where he says, test me in this. Tithing or even really giving was not something that I grew up doing or learning about. So it was completely new. When me and Chris got married and we were surrendered our life to Christ and we're walking in it, um, I, we both decided, or he said, you're in charge of the finances. And uh, so I made sure the bills were paid. I put our checks in the bank. Well, I mean, in my defense, you were the only one with a job at the time. So Yeah, true, at the time. But we had been married like four to six months, and in passing, just casually, he just says, hey, you've been tithing every month, huh? And I was like, um, I mean, we give, yeah. And he was like, no, I mean like 10% at the beginning of every month. And I was like, well, no, we haven't been doing that. I mean, that's like half of my whole paycheck, my first paycheck. No, I haven't been doing that. Y'all, he looked like this. We've been robbing God. He started, for, I was like. We believe the Bible absolutely. But he just assumed that I knew. 
Joshua. This was not a practice that I had learned or done. And it was just something that he had learned and he had done. And so he was like, okay, so he started pastoring me in the moment. He busted out the Bible. He read this scripture right here. And I was like, oh, okay, well. So tithing for me began as an obligation, an obligation to him because it was a strong conviction for him. And then an obligation because I wanted to do what God's word said. And so I felt obligated. I saw it in his word. So if it begins with an obligation, but just walking in obedience, that's how it began for me. I think the truth is we all have a tendency to put our faith and our security in our finances. Hey, hear me, any area that we put our faith and our security in that is not God has great potential, that is not our heavenly father, that has great potential to become an idol in our lives. And if you want to define an idol in America, then you can start it on Wall Street and move it into individual bank accounts. When finances are good, come on, our faith is strong. Help me, somebody. That's because our faith is in our finances. When our finances are not good, our faith is weak. When our economy's booming, come on, the church is giving. When it's not, it's not. Now, I want to brag on this church specifically. April of 2020, up to that time, See, I I don't want anybody to be uh, confused today and think that we're preaching this message because we're struggling or we need a lot of people to start giving or we're not going to make it. That's not the point of this. The point of this today is to hear our heart on the area where we've had to learn how to trust God and are still learning how to trust God the most. April of 2020, when we were not attending services, physically gathering as a church, and nobody knew what was going to happen in the economy. This church gave more in April of 2020 than it had ever given in my tenure as the pastor. Now, since then, you've surpassed that. Praise God. Come on, somebody. But tithing, I believe, is the beginning of learning how to trust God in your finances. Tithing, the first 10% of your annual income, break that, what we do is we break that down monthly, our annual, our gross annual, come on, because I don't want a net blessing from God, I want a gross blessing, that's just me, I've heard that preached, and I was like, dude, me, yeah, me too, pour out the gross blessing, Jesus, um, I, so we take our gross income, we divide it by 12, and we give 10% of that number every month first before we do anything else i find it interesting if we go back to the book of genesis and i'll come i'll come back to some more things in a minute you see abraham in genesis chapter 14 verse 20 that melchizedek is speaking to abraham and he says blessed be god most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand now melchizedek is an old testament image of jesus if, if not Jesus himself, he was a king and priest, which is 
a rarity in Scripture. And if you go read in the book of Hebrews, there's a, a lot of parallel to Jesus and Melchizedek. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So there's this argument, right? Just like everything else, there's this argument. Well, that's an Old Testament principle. Tithing is an Old Testament principle. Um, one man with one woman, that's an Old Testament principle. No, the Old Testament was the law, and then Jesus came to fulfill the law, and Jesus came, and everything that Jesus did, he would take an Old Testament principle and add to it. He would say, you say not to commit adultery, but I tell you not to even look to lust, or you commit adultery in your heart. So the Old Testament principle, Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, every tithe of the land, the first 10%, every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It's not mine. And I've heard some people, now listen, if you've said this, I'm not talking about you. I'm just, in general, over the years, I've heard people say, well, the church is doing with my tithe. It wasn't your tithe before you gave it. It definitely ain't your tithe after you give it back to him. It was his tithe before you wrote it, before you clicked it, before you handed it back to him. And it is his as the church leadership prayerfully considers together how to appropriate it and give an account for that. Every tithe belongs, it is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. I think we have time for this. I'm not really sure. Um, one of the first things, now, I told you a couple of weeks ago, my personal testimony, um, which was kind of stupid. I would look at things I wasn't supposed to look at early in our marriage, but I would not tithe. <laughs> Everybody's got their own issues, right? And none of those are okay. This is not one of those conversations like, well, I get this right, I get this wrong, and God's okay with it. No. He wants every area of our life fully surrendered to him. Why? So that he can use us in that area. Here's the Old Testament. Uh, I'm sorry. Moving into the New Testament, Luke chapter 11, verse 42, Jesus says, these are the words of Jesus, woe to you religious people. That's what Pharisees represent, right? You pay tithes. You tithe. It's like Jesus took that for granted. He was like, you tithe. I mean, you're not going to rob God out in the open. Like, nobody today, if we left that box, well, some people would. We do live in you. Never mind. Uh, so if, if, we just, <laughs> if we just left the box open or passed the bucket, and nobody's making change in the offering plate. You know what I'm saying? Like, nobody's be like, uh, hang on just a second. I got to get, man, I'm going to take this, and then I... Nobody's reaching in that bucket, taking anything out. But listen, when you make, let's say you make $10,000, you don't give God a thousand, you may as well reach in that bucket that we don't pass, grab you out some money and walk out of here. Because the first 10%, according to scripture, belongs to God. I was going to tell you a minute ago, we don't play the boyfriend-girlfriend thing. We, we, ha we want hey, healthy relationships with the opposite sex 
uh, integrity-based relationships. That's what we teach our children. That's what we're practicing. And then one day, God's going to show you who he has for you. You don't have to try people on like shoes to see if they fit. Stick yourself emotionally to individuals and then hope that you still have something to give by the time you meet. the. If you can trust them with your soul, you can trust them with your spouse. Come on, somebody. Okay, so when that boy comes to me, Pastor Chris, I'd like to date your daughter. Well, I'd like to punch you in the face. We don't always get what we want, do we? <laughs> no, I'll be more kind than that, I think. Um, I'm telling you right now, hear the heart of this daddy. One of the first things I will do is either call his pastor or check our, check our money to see if that boy tithes or gives to this church. Because hear me, listen, I'm not going to give one of the greatest offerings I have outside of my wife to somebody who is willing to rob God of some earthly treasure. Jesus said, you pay tithes of mint, rue, and every herb, but you disregard justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus confirmed the tithe. It's unequivocal. It's not debatable. You should have practiced the latter. Yeah, you should tithe. That's the, that's the baseline. Now listen, if you can't go home today because you got to reprioritize your finances, by the way, if you have to reprioritize your finances to give God what he calls as his, then your finances are currently out of priority. They're out of line. And I think that we all need help in this area. So I'm not telling you, you better give 10% today or you're going to, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that God expects us to begin to work on these areas of our lives. And if you don't feel like you can give 10, then you need to look at what you can and begin to give that consistently. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this is on our tithe envelope. This is on our giving envelope because giving is way more than tithe. We are generous on every envelope and every uh, chair back that we actually have in this room. It says the point is this. Here's the Apostle Paul. You ready? The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Can I tell you, that might not be in this life. Like you may not see it. And I'll share an example. We will share an example here in a minute. But you will reap bountifully. Verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly are under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, help us. Right. I want to point out in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, because it talks about a cheerful giver. I already said I wasn't too cheerful at the beginning of my, <laughs> my journey of starting to give. But what he wants us to understand, Dr. Luke wants us to understand, is that a cheerful, a cheer, that's so hard for me to Cheer, say, cheerful, cheerful it's the givers are people who understand that when it says give and it will be given to you, it isn't talking about personal or selfish gain. Yeah. It is talking about, it's not talking about adding power or having more things because we don't give to get, mm. all right? So you need to understand that because God doesn't need our money. He needs our heart fully surrendered. That's the whole purpose of this message today. Mm. And so... We have to make sure that our heart is in the right place. And when we truly understand that it's about kingdom gains, 
and not about selfish gain, that's when the perspective changes and your heart gets in line with his. And that's the purpose of today's message. All right, so we teach our children. Remember, we opened this by saying, if we had this conviction and we practiced this conviction, then we would be doing the people that we pastor an injustice. The point of this today is not that you would leave here and feel guilty. The point of this today is that we would all begin to make adjustments specifically in the area where we find the most security and we put our faith in and we would properly prioritize every area of our lives. Let's go back. Pastor Weston sent me this. I can't remember the pastor to give credit to, but I, so I'll just use it as if it was mine. Um, if you go back to the book of Genesis, God said he put the man and the woman in the garden and they were in charge of everything in the garden. Remember? And he said, you can have all of this is yours. He gave man and woman his dominion. He gave them, he subjected his sovereignty to their decision. And he still does that today. But watch, he also said, you can eat of anything, you can have everything. It's all yours, I'm giving you all of this. But do not eat of that one tree. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, here's how we know that it was God's garden. Because Adam and the woman were a guest in God's garden. So God said, hey, you can have all of this. It's like being a child in my house. It's not my child's house. If everything were mine, right, I can eat whatever I want to in my house. I'm grown. I can buy what I want to. Did you buy? Yes, I did. I'm grown. Why are these Sour Patch Kids hidden up here? Why are you hiding candy like a child? These are my Sour Patch Kids. I don't want to share those little gremlins with sticky fingers all the time. One of them being here. I got to be careful later. Here's, watch. God is saying, listen, all this is yours, but that's mine. Don't eat of that. And when they broke that, God said, now I got to tell you what the curse is. Here's what God is saying. I believe. Remember, Leviticus said, the tithe is the Lord's. It is holy unto God. God is saying, I'm giving you all of this. This is all yours. Everything I've given you, I'm giving it to you. But that, it's mine. And when you try to keep that or you try to take that, now the only thing that is left is for me to pronounce the curse that you're now struggling with and walking in because you don't know how to trust me in this one area. We teach our children that every $1 out of 10 belongs to God in every area. Hey, do you find it interesting that the first murder in the Bible was committed over jealousy of an offering? You know the difference between Cain and Abel's offering? The Bible says it wasn't the blood or the ground. It wasn't an animal or the produce of the field. That wasn't the difference. The Bible says that Cain gave some, like we were given for the first few months of our marriage. Like many people still today, if they have it, they give it, right? Cain gave some, 
of the produce. And the Bible says that Abel gave the first of the best. Before Abel did anything else, he gave back God what belonged to him. It's so important to uh, give back God what is his because he is stewarding. We are stewarding what he is giving us. Yeah. And so when he sees that he can trust us in this area, he sees that he can trust us in stewardship with people, mm. in ministry, in every other area if we can get this one right. And when we don't give that to him, we open that door for the enemy to come in and have a hand in that area of our life. And so we have to surrender it to God. Which leads us to our next point. We trust God extravagantly. Extravagant giving will exceed what is expected. Mm. One of the most notable examples of extravagant giving is when I read about the Macedonian believers. They were not rich people. They were going through a very difficult time. They were very poor people. And they were so giving and generous that it shocked Paul. Okay, and I want you to hear what Paul says about the Macedonian church in Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Mm. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. Mm. And they did it of their own free will. Giving out of our abundance can be easy. Mm. When we give out of the, the things that we have, it can be easy. It's when God asks us to give sacrificially. Come on. When it costs us something. When we give up something to give to God or give to others, that's when it's transitional. That's when we truly, that's when I truly understood what it meant to trust God fully. Mm. So we're going to talk to you a little bit. We're just going to tell you our background um, of a huge story, of just something that was transformational for me in walking in this. We were in Texas as youth pastors, and we had been renting a house, and we both felt like we were supposed to use the money that we had made on the first house that his stepdad helped us to build before we went into full-time ministry. And we were going to use that money to buy land so we could get out of the rent house because we had made money on the first house that we had built. And so we saw it as an investment no matter how long we were going to be there. And so we began the process. We bought the land. We began to get plans for the house that we wanted to build. We paid for that. But once we got the plans, there continued to be roadblocks every time we continued to move forward on building that house. And it became so frustrating. I was like, Lord, we both believe that you, like, you wanted us to buy that land, that we were supposed to buy that land, use that money to buy that land. But why can we not build a house? And so it was a process. Continue with the rest of that story. Yeah, I think I just remembered that we paid like really good money for those stupid plans. Yeah. And we never used them. Really good money. I think that's plans. why it's so important that you really seek the Lord on every decision and don't assume that just because he led you to do one thing that you're supposed to just press through all the way to the end on whatever it is because he will show you things. He will show us things in steps. 
We learn to trust God extravagantly. I tried to build, I tried to buy, I just didn't want to rent. Um, not only had my stepdad, my daddy Tim, since four years old, helped us build a house for you know construction value and sell it at market value. My, my dad passed away and he had some life insurance, not as much as he should have had, but that's another story for another day, but he had some life insurance. The Lord had led us to give in other areas while we were in Searcy, Arkansas, and so we still had what we referred to as, as this nest egg. We were giving out of our abundance yeah. in that season. I, well, yeah, and you, yeah, we were, we were. But then I made a really big mistake, and I called my pastor friend of a friend, Dr. Brian Jarrett, and I said, hey, man, I'm sending you $100. I just want to sew into this, but I want you to sign me a book and send it to me. And he sent me this book called Extravagant. Some of you have heard this story. And in the front, it said, dear Chris, may this book lead you to new levels of surrender. Your friend, Brian Jarrett. I was like, I am in so much trouble right now. And I read the book, and as I got through it, I was in my office in Chandler before we had a staff meeting, and I read how David's offering to God to build the temple was greater than any one man's net worth who is alive today. Did you hear me? Any one man's net worth who is alive today. David's offering was greater than any one individual's net worth a lot, his offering. And I closed the book and I called her and I had done these things before. Uh, felt like I was supposed to sell a vehicle and give it to speed the light or we were supposed to do something extravagant. And sometimes she'd be like, okay, let's go. And sometimes she'd be like, um, hello, I have two children at the house. You can't leave me at home all day with no vehicle. So God's going to have to wait on that one. <laughs> that's, that's not really what she said, but that, was, that would happen. And so I was expecting, I called and I said, babe, I think I know why we can't buy a house. I think we, I know why we don't have a piece about building. I think we're supposed to give the land sell a vehicle, empty our accounts, and only leave in our savings and in our checking what we can keep, what we can have to keep it open. And I thought for sure she was going to say, babe, I think we need to pray about this. Um, maybe you're just hungry, you know. Maybe you could just be frustrated with this whole process. That's not what she said. No, and the only way that I can describe it because it doesn't make any sense whatsoever, because it goes completely against everything in me and my flesh. But it was like God's grace and peace just fell on my shoulders, and I was relieved. Mm. It was weird. It was like when he said it, I was like, ah, oh, that's what it is. God is calling us to do this, because we wanted to help pay off that student center in our church. We were doing it small, but the Lord was calling us to the extravagant. So essentially, she said, okay. Like, that was it. I went through all of that, and she said, okay. Now, just to be clear. He I'm, said, wait, that's it? He's like, did I call my wife? Who am I talking to? <laughs> on my flip phone. 
Guys, just so you know, we're, we're talking about a $60,000 offering. And she said, okay. And I said, all right, I'm going to tell Pastor Mark right now. And she said, okay. And I went in and we told him. He tried to talk us out of it, which, hey, by the way, the point of this today is not that you would do that. <laughs> Don't do that unless God tells you, you to. You better know that you know that you know. Because it was really freeing and really exciting until two weeks later, maybe three. She came in the living room and she said, okay, do the thing, girl. She got to use the microphone though. Yes, I do. I walked in the room and I said, he's sitting on the couch watching football or something. The kids are napping and I walk in and I said, well, I'm pregnant. (laughs) And then I walked out of the room and then you said, there is no intelligent response like there's nothing I leaned back I didn't even say anything she's gone I leaned back in the chair and I said God please let this be a boy <laughs> we had Adeline and Emery and I was um Within about 24 hours, I was, I was sitting in the floor of our shower in tears, not in front of her. I didn't want her to see me because we didn't have insurance, and we had $200 to our name. I, I didn't know how we were going to pay for this pregnancy. But God did, and that's why he did. I was like, Lord, you knew I was pregnant three weeks ago. <laughs> you knew, and you still us to do this because if we would have known we wouldn't have done it and he knew that Mm. so he waited and then we had to begin to operate what we said that we believed in Mm. lord i trust you i I have faith in you well this is your time to operate in it let's work that muscle out so in the months and the years the lord he showed us he gave us exactly what we needed it was the season we like to call manna it wasn't everything like people were like did people start they found out that y'all gave all this money well the only people that knew that we did this were our pastors us and some like very close friends and our family didn't even you know were the first we group this. of people that we ever told because we didn't want people to go oh they did and then like buy something or do that's that wasn't the point that right the the point was to hear and obey the voice of god specifically in the area of finances. So you're probably thinking somebody probably bought you a car, somebody nope, began I drove to... a church cargo van and people made fun of me. It's true. He, he drove the you church cargo van. You know what? I'll tell van. you. They called me Chester the Molester because I was driving a church cargo van. <laughs> they made fun of me driving that van. I'm, that's, that's what happened. Because they didn't know. They didn't know. They didn't know. And... We stayed in the rent house that we were trying to get out of. I just woke up like 15 people. (laughs) What did he call? One specific story. We have tons of stories of just how God provided everything that we needed through this pregnancy. Because, you know, to pay for a pregnancy with no insurance is over $10,000. That's what it was then. I can't imagine what it is now. So a specific story that I remember is I had an appointment for a sonogram. It's going to be the first time that I got to see the baby. And uh, I wasn't, I had to cancel it because I didn't have the, the payment that I needed to be able to go to that appointment. 
And so, well, I had the money, but I had to go to the grocery store. So I had to pick. You do had I, to choose. I had to choose. Do I go get food for our family or go to my appointment? Well, obviously, you know what I chose. I went to the grocery store. So I went to the grocery store, and we were out of everything. And so the lady in front of me, she saw that I had lots of groceries. And she ended up paying about 250 almost $300 worth of groceries. I just started crying because I knew, like, that was another, like, because I got to go to my appointment. I got to call the doctor back and say, hey, I'm going to make my appointment tomorrow mm. because the Lord provided. And there was tons and tons of stories, y'all. The Lord provided $10,000 worth of monetary blessing in that season. And I have no idea how we did it or how he did it, but he did. And this was the season that my, my faith and my trust in him was brought to a completely different level. And it, it wasn't from people that knew what we did. That was the coolest part of the whole deal, is that people were just being led of God. Why? Because generosity is contagious. I need to say, generosity is contagious. Even if people don't know why they're being generous. See, when God begins to use you in, in these kind of areas, the areas where you find the most security, he begins to stretch you. And it's when he begins to stretch us that he can truly reveal his strength. So we learned to trust God extravagantly. We learned to give. We learned to give consistently first. Did you hear our story? We learned first how to give consistently. And then we begin to learn how to give generously over and above the consistently. Matthew chapter 19, verse 29 says, everyone who left houses, that's such a nice house. Brothers or sisters, father or mother or wife or children or fields. Now listen, this is not saying you should forsake your family or your spouse. But when you lay those things down, you put them at the feet of Jesus, and you do what he tells you to do, you receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. I, I believe, hear me, this is not why I do it. I just know. Every time that it doesn't look like it's going to work out, and now as the pastor of a church, especially for the first year or so, when it didn't, when what was on paper did not add up to what we were responsible for, I just know no, there's a hundredfold blessing following me because of our obedience to God in this area of our lives. Verse 30 says, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. So when we trust God extravagantly and we give consistently, number three, we impact eternity. When we don't, God uses somebody else and we miss out. But we impact eternity when we are, are obedient to God I, in every area of our life. Our time, yes. Our talent, our gifting, our ability. But especially in the area where Jesus said Jesus, not preachers, not money-hungry evangelists. Are y'all with me? Jesus Christ, who has never been in need for anything. If he had a need for a tax, he'd put gold in the mouth of a fish. 
Let me catch that bass, Jesus. Come on. So Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart shall be also. When we surrender our treasure, God really begins to use us to impact eternity. I don't think it's an accident that within about three and a half to four years of this offering, God showed a 32-year-old couple a church on two and a half acres of land on Satig Road with $80,000 in the bank and no debt. There's not a church planter in the world that wouldn't take a building with money in the bank and no debt. And God moved us here. And then within three years, land that had been locked up for generations. You cannot buy the 23 acres until you buy this one acre of gully for $9,000. Then we'll talk about the rest. We bought it all for $4,500 an acre. God unlocked it. 19 acres next to us, God unlocked it. A school, God unlocked it. What he has planned and intended for this church. Personally, corporately, it's all dependent upon our obedience. I believe that's why we're seeing what we're seeing. I just want to name some of the things, just some of the things that we are able to do as a church because of your generosity. We gave over $100,000 to our community for a new playground set in Circle Park. You remember that? The Lord called us to do that before we even started the process of buying the land or looking at for the sanctuary and the school. He called us to do that as a church first. We give over 500 backpacks every year through our health fair so families know that they have support, that there's a church here that cares about them. We put on a free carnival with games, free food for a family-friendly event in the month of October, just so we can invite families back to church. We invest over thousands of dollars into our local schools and our city through Serve Day, through you serving and helping and cleaning and doing projects all around this community. So our community knows that there's a church here that cares and loves them. We support over 40 missionaries, is that right? Yeah. In the U.S. and across the, the, where are, the globe. Earth. Yes, Earth. We, build, we are building classrooms right now, so we invest into the next generation and produce world changers. And we're housing over 80 students now, but we're projected to house well over 100 students next semester. Because of your generosity, because you are surrendering that part and you're giving it to God because he can do far more, far more than we ever could. Let me give you, let me give you two opposing scriptures as we begin to wrap up today. And let me just say this. First of all, if you're a guest with us here today, this is, this is not about you being pressured to give. If you don't know where you are with Jesus today, then take all this stuff and just put it in your pocket 
Because before you give anything else to God, he wants you. He, he wants your heart. He wants your life. He'll, he'll take care of all this other stuff as, as you continue to grow and move forward. But if you're not living for Jesus, he doesn't care about your money. He cares about you. I love the old phrase, he's not trying to get your money. If you've already surrendered your life to Jesus, you call this place home, he's not trying to get your money. I'm not trying to get, guys, I'm not preaching this so that the single mama raising three children by herself will give 10% so I can have more money. I'm doing that because I believe that God will bless her in ways that he's not going to be able to as long as she's holding on to something that is actually his. Let me give you two opposing scriptures. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. For the love of money, not money, money's not evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Any idol is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money never have enough and have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Let me, show you, let me show you the antithesis of this verse. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. See, obedience is learning how to trust God in every area of our lives. That we would deny ourselves, even if it feels like an obligation at first. Because your actions can follow your feelings, or you can make an adjustment to your actions, and your feelings will follow your actions. So it started as an obligation, but now it's a delight. D.L. Moody said it this way, still in this from my friend. He said, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. I stood in that building, and I should have put the picture in. Remind me to put the picture in the next, next service. I stood in that building Thursday night with seven board members and two elders. And we walked the halls and prayed the education building across the parking lot. And then we stood in the hallway, and we just stretched our hands out. We just began to pray together. Can you imagine with me the dreams the visions, the, the teachers, the attorneys, uh, doctors, lawyers, missionaries, employees, employers, evangelists, prophets, apostles that are going to be trained in this metal building. We prayed that that's what God would use that for training and discipleship because we believe we'll have the opportunity to use it for groups as well but church we got to pay for it and i told you that megan and i would never ask you to do something that we're not willing to do ourselves so 
on Thursday before we recorded this message online, I went to write my $1,000 check, our, because <laughs> it has our names on it, um, $1,000 check. And as I was writing it, I felt, I wrote one, and then I just, it, that still small voice, I wrote one more, one. So instead of 1,000, I wrote 1,100. And she goes, hey, why'd you write 1,100? And I was like, I don't know, I just felt like I was supposed to, like, I, we don't just, it's, this is real money, Chris. You don't just write numbers down on paper. <laughs> We're believing for 199 people to join us in giving $1,000. Because in order to not draw any further from our general fund right now, which we don't need to do, we need this above and beyond offering to pay that building off. And so we're asking some people to join us. I believe the reason I wrote $100 is because some people can't give $1,000. You legitimately cannot give $1,000. And then some people can give above and beyond that. And I'm just asking that you would prayerfully consider what God may be leading you to give. Listen, do not give out of pressure or compulsion. But if God purposes in your heart, then obey that voice. Here's the other side of this, and we have two checks written today, just as an illustration. This is our tithe check. Church, this we get to obey or we don't. And, and, and we just maybe miss out, or maybe God gives us another opportunity later. This tithe check, this is not optional. Not, not in our house, not for our children, not for us. Giving Jesus our first tenth of every dollar and every opportunity, because God didn't just give us $10,000. <laughs> he gave us opportunities. He didn't just give us this church. <laughs> he gave us opportunity. And so I'm offering you an opportunity today to realign, to realign your finances, which according to Jesus says will realign your heart. If you have your gift or if you're considering your gift or you give online or you give through the app or you give through text or whatever, I, I wanna invite you to just hold your gift over your heart today. If you're writing your tithe today, if you're, if you, if you're working on your tithe and it's a lower percent than 10, that, that's the biblical percentage, that's what we wanna work towards. I'm not trying to squeeze blood out of turnips today. I'm trying to get the children of God to obey the word of God, specifically in this area, because this is the conviction that we walk in. And the Bible still says, examine me in this. Examine. I, as the pastor of this church, based on the word of God, I believe that I can tell you, if you give this today as the Lord leads you, and you will be faithful, completely faithful, in 10% for six months, if you come to me and you've been examining and God has not revealed himself, you come to me, I'll give you your money back. Then I don't take any faith. But that's how much I believe in this principle that we can trust God, especially in this area.